Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet again another fantastic interview. It's your Capri Sarah Cody, and we're keeping it geekly with our new guest, Neil Clyde. We're here to break down to the Phoenix Chase, a Marvel School of X novel, and everything in between. Neil, welcome to the stream. How are you doing today, man? Good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. I, uh, you know, we were talking uh, earlier. I had the chance to listen to Spider-Man: Craven's Last Hunt uh, to kind of get a taste of your work, and I could, I can't stop gushing over it backstage and uh, live. It was awesome. Uh, before we dive into too much of your work, though, I always love starting with the basics. So let's begin with who you are and how you got into writing books. Yeah, sure. So Neil Clyde, I've uh, been writing comics for a while now, and novels a little bit more recently. Um, you know, I just started because I loved comic books, uh, passionate as a kid, read them all my life, always knew I wanted to do something with them. I actually started off as an artist, uh, worked up a whole bunch of pages and brought them to an editor at DC Comics who said, you are terrible. Um, oh no. <laughs> but, but he said, look, he goes, your anatomy's off, your pacing's not great, but your storytelling's fantastic. You should be a writer. And so that really kind of got me looking at approaching comics uh, and writing from another end. And then it was just a lot of studying, a lot of research, listening, look, you know, looking how other people did it, starting off with mini comics, doing web comics, working my way through like the indie ranks, and then being lucky enough to, you know, do a X-Men comic here, a Superman comic here, uh, and then mostly my own stuff for the last, you know, 10 years, a lot of independent graphic novels, um, a lot of dramas. Um, the pro stuff came a little later on. Um, I was, lucky enough to meet some editors at Marvel who uh, were doing some prose work. They, you know, Marvel did a whole lot of prose novels, basically prose adaptations of some classic storylines. And one of the editors there, Stuart Moore, um, brought me in to adapt Spider-Man Craven's Last Hunt, which is a story that I've loved since I was a kid. And I was really honored and privileged to be able to take James DeMattis and Mike Zeck's classic work and adapt it for prose. Um, and, you know, you learn a lot of new things when you're writing a book that you don't when you write comics, uh, a little bit more about, you know, economy of the story, economy of the prose, how you have to describe a lot more because you don't have the visuals to really rely on, yeah. be a little bit more evocative. Um, and that was really sort of where I broke my teeth a little bit as prose. And since then, I've been lucky enough to do uh, some other work. I did uh, an original novel with Brian Bendis um, based on his Power series of comics that came out a little while ago. And then I did a short story for School of X, which is an anthology from Aconite, um, where I really kind of got to touch um, my, the X-Men for the, for the first time in a while. Uh, and I did a story uh, about Quentin Quire or Kid Omega. Um, and that was really the, the jumping off point for the Phoenix Chase, which is the book that I have coming out in two weeks. Man, I mean... How does it feel to like have worked with some like pretty like outstanding names in the industry? That is that and and to, to have worked with so many awesome characters as well. This is like a dream come true almost. It sounds like yeah, you know, uh, you count yourself lucky that you know you get the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a lot of folks that that you know are sort of looking for the opportunities that I've been lucky enough to have, um, and you know you count your blessings and and you take every opportunity and you make the most of it as you go on. The characters, you know. Look, publishers let me play with their toys. Uh, it's not often, but when I do, I try to get in there and, and make my mark. Um, and I hope I get the opportunity to do more of it going forward. But it's a nice balance. I've gotten to play with uh, and write, you know, like you've said, some some landmark characters. I've you know written Spider-Man, I've written X-Men, I've, I've written Wonder Woman. Um, and I balance that off with my own characters and my own graphic novels. So I get to kind of do both, which is, which is nice as a writer to be able to kind of 
build worlds and also play mm-hmm. in someone else's world. So uh, I, I do want to touch a base on the panic, but before we do that, I am curious about Spider-Man Craven's Last Hunt. How was that taking it, you know, pre-existing work and like kind of doing, you know, a novel based off of that? Like what went into that? I mean, you did such an awesome job, you know, because we don't have the art, the visual. So, you you know, you had to rely on words and you were able to paint that world and, and just do it such justice. So, like, I'm curious, like what kind of went into that? Well, it's it's great because you have the comics to really base things on and they're almost sort of your storyboard right so when you're trying to paint a picture and tell people um you know this is what's happening to craven or peter or mary jane or what have you you really can look at you know mike zek's amazing visuals and almost what i tell a lot of people is that i'm just like like narrating it i'm just kind of like documenting like this is what i'm seeing and this is what you should be kind of visualizing in your head because you know (laughs) the rain is falling and Mm -hmm. you know it's pattering off the, the costume or what have you like being able to really go panel by panel and, uh, you know, translate that to prose um, is really, it, that's part of the challenge and, and a lot of the fun. But the great thing is that with a prose novel, you get to expand, right? So comics, 22 pages, set n- number of panels, you have to tell the story in a really quick, uh, condensed manner. With a novel, you get to kind of like move some elbows out and make some room for yourself and t- get in your character's head. And so for a character like, you know, Craven the Hunter, or even Spider-Man, who both come with their own neuroses, and um, the other two main characters, who are Mary Jane and Vermin, um, I got to really spend a little time in each of their heads and expand on the story that you know um, that DeMattis and Zach were telling, and I hope I did it justice. Um, it's it was a lot of fun. What was actually also great is that I got to not just live in those six issues, but pull some threads from beforehand and afterwards. Um, and really bring in a lot of the canon things that were happening around Spider-Man at the time and all four of his titles and really create like a, a, a fuller picture of his worldview at the time. I, I love that so much. And you did a remarkable job. It's You put the reader behind the mask and it was such a different experience for Spider-Man. Was there any like, n- like were you nervous at all? It just seems like there was, there's a lot of weight going into this. Yeah, I mean, you're nervous because number one, you know, you're telling a story that someone else told and you want to do honor to them and print and make sure that you're not kind of messing it up too much. But I mean, it's Spider-Man, right? So like there comes the weight with that in general. This is, this is a character who's been around for a while and will be around long after I am. And you want to make sure that you're translating him as a character and, and the sporting characters around them, um, you know, in a way that does them justice. And so there's definitely a lot of, um, anxiety around writing it, something like, <laughs> and and the hard thing is that this is a very dark story, you know, and so I spent a lot of time in a very dark headspace when I was doing this. You can ask my family. I worked about three to four months on the book, and a lot of the times you have to kind of take yourself away from like your kids who are you know young and happy and watching things like Paw Patrol and whatever, and then it's like, all right, suicide, let's go. Yeah, and that's a hard thing to do. You have to. Be it is. Ahead switch gears. The same thing when you're a writer, when you're juggling multiple stories, sometimes you're writing an all-ages story, and then sometimes you're writing a really dark drama, mm-hmm. and being able to kind of have that muscle where you can kind of like turn on a dime and say, okay, right now I'm writing an all-ages adventure, but now I have to write about like a train crash. Mm-hmm. Like, being able to kind of switch there, that's, you know, part of the job. 
I, I I could just picture uh, writing about Spider-Man and Craven all drugged up and like, okay, okay, we got to lay the kids down to bed. All right, time for Spider-Man and Craven to get all drugged up and then go at each other's throats. <laughs> we have uh, Mama Geekly real quick on Facebook saying uh, she really loves the color, uh, the covers. The colors match perfectly with the illustration. And then she always asks, but she's interested. Uh, do you have a favorite author, like anyone that you like to read? Um, so I've been reading a lot of <laughs> Anthony Bourdain lately, a lot of travel books, um, uh, you know, he's a very famous late chef, so mm -hmm. a lot of his uh, travel books and, and cookbooks, that's kind of where my head's been at lately. From a comic point of view, I really cover the the breadth and width. Um, I'm really big Google Eisner fan, so Will Eisner is sort of like the grandfather of graphic novels. A lot of his books um, uh, are very rooted in Judaica, so I'm... I'm I'm Jewish, and so for me, that's very important. And it's really very evocative work, very uh, groundbreaking in terms of the illustration and what he was doing with the page. So, you know, Will Eisner, anything from like Dropsy Avenue to The Dreamer um, to The Spirit, which is the, the book that he's most well known for, that's really uh, what lines a lot of my shelf. Um, for superhero books, um, I'm kind of reading a lot right now. I'm catching up on X Men continuity. I've been doing that for the last several years yeah there's um, a lot <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot i haven't you know i haven't read x-men in, in quite a while and so when i started to kind of dive back into it for school of x and for the phoenix chase um i really started i believe with like the morrison era and kind of moved forward from there and then jumped back to uh you know claremont and cockrum and, and neil adams and kind of looking at moments that really were going to tie into the narratives that i wanted to tell a lot of the cosmic stuff um, all the stuff with, you know, the Shi'ar and the Star Jammers and Phoenix and the McCran, you know, Crystal, all of that um, was stuff that I did later um, after I went through Morrison and Bendis and now, obviously, the Hickman era, right? The Cohen era, mm -hmm. which is something that I'm just devouring week by week. Um, I'll kind of read anything, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm a fan of trying a bunch of different things and if I love it, I love it. If I don't, I don't. Al Ewing, Ewing, Ewing? I'm not really sure. Ewing. Um, a lot of his work on X-Men Red and the work he did on Immortal Hulk. I've been reading a lot of that lately. Um, and then from the indie point of view, Saga, my big my, my big book is Saga by Vaughn and Staples. That's the one I read every month. Um, and then just trying things, you know, I'm actually currently working through Kate Beaton's Ducks, which is a big graphic novel. Uh, I'm enjoying that right now. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that's awesome. And we got some love from Eisner in the chat as well, so... Definitely a good writer. Uh, so speaking of working in other people's worlds, let's talk about working in your own. You uh, wrote the Panic Trade paperback, which was 136 pages. For everyone that is watching, right here is a link. You can get this from Dark Horse right now. Uh, and if you sim you know, if you can't, put this wherever you can. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth is 100% free. How was that kind of being able to do your own thing for a change and kind of, you know, work with an artist? How was that experience for you? I mean, that's, I would say that most of my career has been focused on my own work, right? So um, I did a book called Saver for Dark Horse, which was a young adult all-ages adventure that was a lot of fun. The Panic is something I did for Comixology, Comixology Originals um, with Andrea Moody. Um, I've been actually writing this story for over a decade. It's a story I came up with after 9-11 that has really evolved over the years about um, a group of strangers who are stuck on a train after some mysterious crash happens and they have to really put aside all their prejudices, um, racial prejudice, prejudices, political um, opinions to really come together as humans and survive. And that's really what the story is about. And it's about, will, will that happen? And it's really evolved as the politics in America have changed 
old and evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to finally get that story out, um, at least the first installment, you know, hopefully there'll be later installments, was really uh, a huge triumph for me and, uh, and Andrea, who were really excited about the books. About the book. It came out from Dark Horse as a collection in the fall. Uh, as you've said, you can get it anywhere books are sold. Um, we're hoping to do more. Uh, we did leave it at a place which is, you know, is closed and could end there, but there's definitely more to the story and, and we're hoping to get there at some point. I love the idea of people putting their differences aside to, to come together. It's, it's sad we can't see that more in the world. I think, you know, we could really achieve greatness if we, if we could do that. Well, I mean, if you read the book, you know, it's not that they they did. The question is, can they? <laughs> uh, and you can see that some of them can, can and some of them can't. Almost following uh, kind of like what's actually happened after 9-11, right? Like, <laughs> well, you know, it's a very political book. And, and you know, I know people, uh, look, it's it's my point of view. I, I have a very specific political point of view um, that definitely colors some of the story. Um I, I did try to look, you know, it's New York, so anytime you look at a really a cross-section of anywhere in New York, you're going to get all types of people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of politics. Um, I try to do the best I can to bring all those voices into the mix. I'm sure that because it's me, it's probably leaning a specific way, but um, you do what you can, right? And, yeah. and and it's, these are the conclusions I've drawn. You know, the nice thing, well, not nice, but like Right around the time the book came out, there actually was an incident on the subway here in Brooklyn uh, where, uh, thankfully, people did come to the aid of other people, right? There were, you know, I think there was a shooting and um, you had doctors kind of jumping into the fray and other people kind of working to get other people out. And that's kind of what you want. You're, you're hopeful that people will put everything aside to just say, it's a life, it's a human, we're going to work together to save people. I guess our story is maybe the cautionary tale about what would happen if that doesn't happen, right? What if people don't uh, kind of lean into their best intentions and lean into the best, you know, who they should be? Um, what would that look like? And hopefully, you know, five issues will show you our conclusions drawn, even if That's they're not the ones that you draw yourself. That's so awesome, though. I, I love just kind of diving into the different aspects of that. It seems like you do a really good job of like, feeling out these characters and developing like the, the emotional aspects of them and really diving into their mindsets. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I think that's the draw as a writer to be able to kind of take a character and, and, and look at their specific arc or motivations over time and have the chance to sit in their head enough so that either they learn something or you learn something. Yeah. And the Phoenix chase is like the perfect example of that the book that's coming out on the 16th, um, taking these characters who you've maybe seen here and there in the comics some of them who have been fleshed out really well by, you know, a stellar uh, rotating number of, of fantastic creators and sort of take, offer my take on it and get in, you know, for me to get in their heads and say, here's, you know, something that motivates me. You know, I'm very, a lot of, uh, one of the themes in my story is like, in all my stories is legacy, fathers mm -hmm. and sons, mentors and students, um, and really kind of looking at these characters and how they interrelate and how they work through the issues they have. That was really what drew me to the story that I wanted to tell in the Phoenix Chase. And for everyone watching right here is the link to the Phoenix Chase. Uh, you could pre-order it right now. This is coming out May 16th, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, May 16th. 
So right here is the link for you guys to go to the bookshop and get this. And once again, if you can't pre-order it, simply put this wherever you can. Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth is 100% free and you have nothing to lose getting this project out there. So you said uh, there, you wrote a novel that kind of led to the way, you know, the roadway to this uh, beforehand? Yeah. yeah, so this book here, School of X, which is out already, has been out for about a year now, uh, is an anthology um, of stories based in the world of the X-Men. And it's focused on sort of the younger generation of X-Men. And it's set during the, like the Brian Bendis era, where um, really kind of hones in on the Charles Xavier School at the time. The X-Men were split. You had the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning and the Charles Xavier Institute. And that's where we kind of put our focus. And so it's all these stories that don't necessarily um, connect to one another, but they're really standalone. And my story is about Quentin Choir, who is also really likes to go by his mutant name, Kid, Kid Omega. And uh, if you know Kid Omega, you know that he's got a very colorful history. Uh, he started <laughs> off as kind of a, I don't want to say a villain, but kind of a menace, uh, you know, really kind of questioning Charles Xavier in his dream. And he's been sort of, uh, I want to say, up and down over the years from villain to threat to menace to nuisance to comic relief. And then um, now in the, you know, the Cohen age, the, the current age, really kind of a hero, or at least somewhat of a hero. And so what I like is the sort of the era, the era in which we're, we're telling kind of went quiet for a while. And for me, those are the formative years. Those are the years that sort of connect there to here, where he really learns the value of what it means to be a teammate, a friend, uh, a hero. And so that's what I wanted to explore. And so this story, the story that's in this book, is called Kid Omega Faces the Music. And it's a time travel story where Kid Omega and his best pal, Glob, Herman, uh, go to um, a convention to steal Wonder Man's glasses. <laughs> Wonder Man is a well-known Avenger. They want to steal his glasses. They're big Wonder Man fans. And along the way, uh, they get into a, involved in a fight between Wonder Man and King the Conqueror, and they end up bouncing through time. Uh, and they bounce through various touch points in X-Men history. And specifically, various touch points that connect to Magneto, who is somebody that Kid Omega is a, a huge fan of. And over the course of the story, uh, Quentin really learns the value of being selfless instead of selfish, really what it means to sacrifice himself for others. Um, and he kind of learns something out of, you know, along the way. That's what you want from a good story. And so when we finished the story, uh, I was really happy with it. I got to play with his voice, which is very like trickster focus. I was watching a lot of Loki at the time, uh, Loki, the TV show. On yep, Disney yep. Plus. And that really helped inform kind of the voice a little bit of how I wanted Quentin to sound. But he's also like very much me. Like I'm very much sarcastic and I reference a lot of pop culture. And so you see a lot of that in, in the story. And I really felt I had more to say. And I had this, this idea for uh, a story that involved the Phoenix, uh, which um, if you know Quentin, his legacy is tied to the Phoenix. He's, he was a host um, and potentially maybe the Phoenix in the future. And I also wanted to tell a story set in Marvel's uh, cosmic landscape, really kind of get, get the X-Men out into space because that's, those are the stories that I like best. Mm -hmm. um, and so I reached out to my editor and said, look, I have this idea. I don't know if Marvel's looking for anything. I'd love to do like a full novel. And I pitched her the idea and she was like, that's the craziest idea I've ever heard. I love it. We should do it. <laughs> and so um, Marvel really uh, agreed with us. Uh, I didn't get a ton of notes from them, which is kind of nice. They were, I mean, I got notes because it's Marvel and they're really good at what they do. 
Um, but they really kind of embraced what uh, Gwen Nix, who's my editor, and I were, were trying to attempt. Um, and it's this uh, really like, it's not like a buddy comedy or a space uh, space travel story or anything, but it's kind of all those. Um, and it's really the idea is that just here's the elevator pitch. Kid Omega starts a third mutant school, uh, Mutants Without Borders, and he does it with his friends and he's trying to get everybody involved and his friends all get kidnapped mm-hmm. by some mysterious aliens and it's his fault. And the aliens basically say to him, if you want your friends back, have uh, so the, the message is have Summers bring a phoenix egg to us. But they don't know where, they don't know who these people are, and so he's got to go figure it out, and he has to kind of go hat in hand to who he assumes is the Summers they're talking about, Cyclops, and say, you got to help me. Uh, you know, even though he has to kind of like suck it up and say, oh my God, I can't believe I need to tell you I need help. But I need help. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, Scott can't go uh, for various reasons, and so he gets the next best thing, which is Alex Summers, who is Havoc. Mm-hmm. And so it's Havoc and Quentin teaming up with the Star Jammers to go on a scavenger hunt across space, find this Phoenix egg, and rescue his friends. And along the way, uh, you really kind of meet a lot of cool Marvel cameos. Uh, there's a lot of people that um, I've always wanted to tell stories on. They're all in this book, um, and which was kind of fun to be able That's to tell awesome. stories with some of these characters that I've grown up reading and now get to write. Um and what's also great about it is that it ties into themes that I love to set, talk, talk about, which is legacy. And it's about, you know, fathers and sons. You've got Alex's hangups. You've got Quentin's hangups. You've got, uh, they're with the Star Jammers. So you've got Corsair in there and him and Alex have a specific relationship. Him and Quentin develop a specific relationship, which may not be great. Um, and so there's the three of them kind of in this circle, really kind of like trying to learn from one another and grow um, and um, all set amid this, like I said, galactic Marvel landscape and really tying into very key points of Marvel continuity along the way. So we have some hype in the chat. J. Michael Miller over on YouTube saying this book sounds like a blast and love havoc. And then Mama Geekly sounds like a story I wouldn't put down until I read the whole book. I can't wait. I got my pre-order in this. This sounds like it's going to be amazing. I got to ask, though, how was it? Uh, to write Magneto or to play at least with that character a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm sure that's a character of great importance to you. It is. So, I'm, I mean, I'm a big fan <laughs> of Magneto. He's probably one of my favorite uh, X-Men characters. Besides the fact that he's got an amazing helmet and he's got this sense of gravitas to him. And he's definitely like, you know, when you talk about some of the top 10 Marvel villains, I mean, Magneto's up there, right? Yeah, he's badass. <laughs> and, and the great thing about him, like all good villains is he doesn't think he's a villain right so to him he's feels justified in what he does as does dr doom right so to me that's really really great to be able to look at this character who i mean has done some some terrible things but also uh has done it in a way that he can justify it right and this story the short story that i did you know i'm sure you've seen the visual because quentin's worn it along the t-shirt that says Magneto was right, you know. Um, <laughs> and so the tagline, the tagline for my story was, which Magneto was right, right? Because Magneto has changed over the years. He started off as this, you know, mutant revolutionary, but then he became, you know, the teacher for the new mutants. And then, you know, every iteration of Magneto, he's learned and grown, and he's he's grown. And so for me, that was, that was the point. It was Quentin being able to kind of look at Magneto over the years and see how his character has developed and realize, oh my God, maybe I should do the same. 
Um, the more important thing for me is also that Magneto is a Jewish character. And I um, obviously am Jewish and I would like to tell more stories with Jewish heroes and villains and be able to explore what uh, their Judaism means to them. Um, I wasn't able to do that here. Uh, it's just the narrative sort of didn't didn't supply it, but if uh, allowed to kind of touch those characters a little bit more, whether it's Magneto or Kitty, you know, Kate Pride or Leonard Sampson, you know, in Marvel, there's plenty more. Moon Knight, you know, there's tons of Jewish characters out there. And for me, um, what I would love to see is just more of those characters brought to the, to, to, to the stage and mm -hmm. have those, the story about kind of who they are, how their religion, how their, their history has sort of shaped who they are, or who they want to be. Um, because for me, especially with kids of my own who read comics and devour them, I want them to be reading those stories. I want them to see themselves in the comics that they read. And I think that's very valuable. And I think that same thing can be said for the films and the, you know, the TV that you see coming out. I'm a very big believer, as are many people of Jewish faith, that you know we need more Jewish rep representation in, um, especially in superhero comics and, and, and in television and in movies and beyond superheroes, even just in, in any form of media. Absolutely. Um, in a way that doesn't feel stereotyped, doesn't feel um, one note or obviously anti-Semitic. Um, and so for me, that's something that's very important. So Magneto, who has his roots in, you know, the Holocaust has his roots in being, you know, very, um, a big advocate for uh, people who are oppressed. To me, he is an important character. And, and I hope he continues to, to be that type of character in any way that he's represented in, in film, television, or, or books, or comics. Absolutely. You also touched another important character too, Kang. Like, how was it, you know, writing that story and then seeing him on the screen? Like, how did that feel? So it was really cool because Gravitas, again, you know, this mm -hmm. character who you get to like have this like very like vocal Shakespearean language kind of come out. Um, that's that's always fun to write. Um, he appears very shortly in the story, but he obviously has a key part of the story. And again, I was writing it around the time that Loki came out, so I knew that. Like I kind of had the inkling that this was coming. And then when they announced that he was going to show up in Quantumania, there was actually excitement for me because I'm like, oh, cool. Like it's a, you know, yeah. <laughs> character who's now going to be all over. And hey, maybe I can hashtag him and awesome. Um, just like uh, in the current Phoenix chase, I uh, I know that I mentioned this to you and I, I don't think I should spoil it for those who are going to read the book, but there's a movie coming out uh, shortly and some characters from that movie will appear in the Phoenix Chase. And I was excited oh, so to be cool. able to write those characters and say, oh, cool, because it's coming out, you know, this summer and you've got some other Marvel characters who will show up uh, in a cinematic way. And, you know, it's really not that hard to put two and two together if you think mm -hmm. of the Marvel <laughs> cosmic <laughs> landscape, who those characters might be. Um, and so uh, it was a lot of fun. It's actually probably my favorite scene of the book uh, to be able to write that scene and just touch the, you know, like I said, the toys and, and kind of play with them and, and, mm -hmm. and put my voice to, you know, to them. Uh, that was, a, that was, it's not only fun, but, but it's kind of, kind of a privilege. Now uh, back to the Phoenix chase uh, for anyone who is maybe a first time, you know, first time consumer or viewer listener to uh, Kid Omega. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, who, what, what his powers is like, what's the big deal about him? Yeah, sure. So Kid Omega is, uh, in, in his name, so an Omega mutant is a mutant whose powers reach sort of the upper limit, upper tier of that power set. And so for Kid Omega, it's telepathy. He is 
one of the, if not, if not the, one of the strongest telepaths on the planet. And his powers have extended beyond telepathy to telekinesis, um, as well as, like I said, he's sort of uh, been touched by the phoenix, so he's sort of a phoenix host, as it were, or will be again. Um, but he does a lot of things like using his psionic powers to create um, like tangible items. So he's created in the comics, we've seen like psionic shotguns mm -hmm. and cages and things like that. So being able to kind of shape his mind uh, and access, you know, the, you know, what do they say that most humans use 10% of their brain? He uses more than that. He's, you know, uh, he's very smart and he's also kind of, kind of a wise ass, you know, he's kind of a wise ass. And so being able to kind of use his mouth and his brain in tandem gets him into a lot of trouble, but um, also gets a lot of people out of jams. And for the history, for those who don't know, uh, he appeared in the original Grant Morrison uh, run of, of New X-Men as a student at Xavier's and actually instigated a riot when he chose to question the Xavier School method. And he's really a strong advocate for mutant kind uh, and mutant superiority, uh, which is why he embraces everything Magneto does. And eventually, in the Bendis era, what Scott Summers is doing. Because post-Avengers uh, versus X-Men, in that era, Scott is a very strong advocate for mutant rights and mutants first. And uh, to Quentin, that is, it's a lot like what Magneto was doing, you know, back in 1963, right? So it moves from Magneto was right to Cyclops was right. And so <laughs> he has a lot of respect for Cyclops, but he's also Cyclops. So he's, you know, kind of like the narc of the X-Men. And mm -hmm. so there's this sense of like, well, I love what he's doing, but he's still Cyclops. So like, how do I marry, how do I balance that out? Um, and Quentin along the way, like I said, you know, he, uh, he was the guy that helped instigate the schism between the X-Men at that time. He walked into, I think it was a UN conference and um, put everybody's, uh, had everybody like telepathically took control of all the delegates and had them say their worst fears on television. Um, and that got mutants uh, in the spotlight in a bad way. And that mm -hmm. really kind of led to a division between Cyclops and Wolverine. And that's what led to that era where we had the Jean Grey School and the Xavier School. And so he's been involved at key touch points along the way. And I, I feel like, this is my chance to redeem him a little bit mm -hmm. or, or try to, um, you know, one of the best notes I've gotten so far, we've got a few advanced like reader reviews and, and the best review I got so far was you made me like him, which is like, all right, I think I won. Like that, yeah. that works for me. Um, but hopefully there's more than just Quentin to, to draw you into this book. You know, you've got Alex Summers who, if you're a big fan of the Summers family, like I am, Alex is this character who has just been grappling self-esteem issues since the beginning, you know, uh, definitely, I don't want to say Cyclops light as Quentin calls him in the book, but like very much questions himself as a leader, questions himself as a mutant and as a, as a, as a hero. And we explore a lot of that in the book. Um, around the time of the book uh, that takes place, um, he's actually on a team of Avengers. That was when Un Uncanny Avengers first came out and Alex is actually leading the team. And so he's sort of questioning himself, like, who am I to lead the Avengers? The Avengers team that has Captain America on it. Mm -hmm. How am I fit to do this? And it's also really kind of relates to how he led the Star Jammers right before that. Uh, Star Jammers, for those of you who don't know, are a very uh, amazing group of intergalactic space pirates um, led by, traditionally led by a guy named Corsair, who is 
Scott and Alex Summers' father. And Ooh. so, um, <laughs> at, the time, at the time, around Uncanny Avengers, like a little bit before, Corsair had died, and Alex took over the group. And so he was not just questioning himself as a leader, but questioning himself as a leader as compared to his father, who led the team beforehand. And so you've got a nice stew of a lot of, like, psychologically damaged people kind of working together to find this phoenix egg in the book and it's uh, a lot of conflict that really kind of lets the characters grow so hopefully people will love that that's the one thing i love so much about books and novels is you're able to really dive into some of these deeper emotional things that like a comic might not be able to hit you know because uh, you know you're able to really dive into their psyche into their thinking where comics kind of struggle with that and it's so awesome to hear the different Things that happen within this book, especially the legacy aspect of it, too. I'm a father myself, so that type of thing is, is big in my world, too. So I'm really excited for this to drop, guys. Once again, this is dropping May 16th. Get those pre-orders in while you still can. Get it while it's still hot. Uh, so how's it feel? You know, we'll, we'll begin wrapping this up. How's it feel to get that chance to create your own unique story for Kid Omega? To kind of give them that redemption, and it's your take. It's not anything else that, you know, anyone else has written. Like, this is just kind of your, your wheel. Uh, no, I mean, it, like I said, not only a privilege or an honor, but, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's to be able to kind of, not everybody gets a chance to tell an X-Men story and their own X-Men story, yeah. right? And so whether, you know, you say, oh, it's, you know, in the comics or in the books or a film or a TV or movie, like getting the chance to just tell the story that you want to tell, there's there's no red, uh, greater feeling. And, you know, look, obviously things have to change along the way. You know, this is... Uh, it's the X-Men, it's a franchise. There's things that you can do, you can't do, what have you. But for the most part, I would say that the story really was the story I told from day one. Not a lot changed um, as a whole. And that is kind of rare to be able to kind of say, take a story and conceive it from beginning to end and put it out there in a few minor tweaks. But for the most part, it's the story. And I hope people like it. Um, you know, one of the things that I always kind of say, especially with characters who are around for a long time is even though it's my story and my take, I couldn't have told the story without, you know, standing on the shoulders of some, some giants, right? People who mm -hmm. have come before, you know, Lee, uh, you know, uh, Neil Adams, Dave Cockrum, Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly, you know, all the people, Bendit, Brian Bendis, you know, the slew of creators who have worked on X-Men over the years, uh, and even beyond X-Men, the Marvel uh, arena, being able to take these little tidbits from along the way and say, oh, this this one really would fit nicely in here. This character works well over here. Um, being able to be allowed to build on their stories, the stories that I grew up reading and my kids have grown up reading um, is just nothing short of amazing. And hopefully I'll get to do more of it. Um, you know, even if, even if I don't, to be able to at least tell the story and if this is the last Marvel story I ever tell, I would be completely satisfied with the story I told. That's awesome. We have uh, Connie over on YouTube saying she has to read The Phoenix Chase. Absolutely, guys. Once again, right there is that link. So what's next for you in 2023 uh, outside outside of the book release? Do you have anything else or any other projects that you might be able to talk about? Yeah, I've got two things coming up. Um, one, hopefully in the next month or two, uh, my first Kickstarter for a book that I did years ago uh, as a digital comic called Kings in Canvas. Uh, it was a book that I did with my friends Jake and Frank, and it's basically a fantasy story about a guy who gets out of jail uh, after being locked up for 10 years, and uh, he basically, he's a former boxer who punches his way out of prison and goes across <laughs> a changed America 
to try to get back the family that he lost. It's really cool. It's like a post-apocalyptic fantasy. There's boxing dragons in it. Uh, so uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, it was a story we told back in 2015. We only got to do five issues of it. And so we're doing the sixth issue and then we're gonna kickstart the collection. Uh, so look for that from us soon. And then I'm working on a comic, another comic, uh, creator own book that's coming out in 2024 with my friends, uh, John Broglia and Ellie Wright uh, as edited by our friend, Sarah Litt. And it is a Jewish suburban crime story uh, actually set in the town that I live. Oh, that's uh, awesome. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a very intimate little tale about uh, friends and family and religion and crime. And uh, it's very cathartic for me uh, to be able to tell that story. Um, there was gonna, there are going to be a lot of people that read this and say, this guy's you, right? And I'm going to be like, well, all characters are me. But yeah, this one's me. <laughs> um, and so we're really excited for that one. I don't want to say too much more about the title mm -hmm. of it or who, where it's coming out, but um, keep Follow me on, you know, social media. I'm Neil Clyde, most places on Instagram and Twitter. Um, uh, and uh, I'll be talking more about it. You can actually see some teases of the art, you know, on those social media channels. So, so and, then, and then I'm working on other stuff. You know, I'm always trying to do more. Would love to tell more X-Men story. Would love to tell more Marvel story. Editors, Marvel, if you're listening. <laughs> thank you. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm always just going to be telling stories. And that's my plan. We have uh, one last question from the chat. Uh, to read Phoenix Chase, uh, can you start reading it alone, or, or should uh, you read the other two books that are kind of within that that uh, series? Uh, no. Uh, so it does definitely reference. I believe there's a reference to the book that comes before it um, in the School of X series. I think it's uh, Sound and Light. Uh, it's a Dazzler story. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's not necessary. You don't have to read the book before. I mean, I would read it because it's a good book. And, <laughs> you know. You definitely want to read all the Aconite School of Books, School of X books, because they're fantastic. Um, but you can definitely read um, Kid Omega on its own. What I may do, I was thinking about this, is once the book is out, maybe doing kind of like an annotation thread on Twitter to like talk about all the little references along the way. Sort of just say like, okay, this point was pulled from this comic. Because I would say that most of what you see in the book is really pulled from the comics continuity. Um, you know, one of the things that, one of the comics that I've been talking about, you know, that you could read before you dive into this is Emperor Vulcan, which is mm -hmm. a book by Chris Yost that came out a while ago. Um, and it's about the, the third Summers brother, Gabriel Summers. Um, and it's definitely much set in the Marvel Galactic landscape. Um, and there was a, a lot of influence in that book, into my book. Um, so definitely pick that one up. Uh, awesome. Kind of get your headspace into it. Absolutely. So, Neil, uh, before we wrap things up completely, I always love ending the show on some strong notes. So first, we'd like to ask uh, for a little bit of advice for anyone out there who might be interested in getting into writing themselves. So with that being said, for anyone maybe just struggling, you know, they're, they're rating their stuff over. They're not really digging it and they're having trouble just getting going, getting that, you know, getting in the zone. What would be some of your advice to kind of help them get motivated in achieving that? So you caught me at the perfect time because I've been going I've been sort of in a period of self-reflection myself for the last two months where I've been kind of questioning the work that I'm doing and sort of my writing plan. And there's days where you're just like, well, I just don't want to write. I don't want to do this. This is not going anywhere. I'm having trouble getting momentum. Um, and this is really hard to say because um, a lot of people say, just keep going, right? Mm -hmm. Just, just keep doing it. Even if it's terrible, just keep kind of getting pages down per day. 
But I'm a big believer in mental health. And I'm a big believer in if you're having trouble, this is not a race. Walk away. Take a minute, take a day, take two days, take as long as you need for you to feel antsy about it and say, you know what? I had a little bit of time from it. I spent time with my family, with my friends. I just went and watched a bunch of movies, right? I went to the gym. If, if you need time, take that time because focusing on it too much and letting yourself feel burnt out by it is not good for your mental state. And my opinion is, you know, Take the time you need, breathe a little bit, and then the writing will always be there when you come back. And when you get into it, you know, yeah, give yourself a plan. Say, all right, you know what? Maybe I'm gonna do, if it's a comic, two pages a night. Or maybe I'm gonna do, if it's a prose novel, 100 pages a night, or a thousand, uh, sorry, 100 words, or not 100 pages. I was, I was like, wow! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can, God bless you, because I can't, but do, a hundred words to a thousand. I'll, words. I'll stick what, to comics. Yeah. What What is your like? What's your What's your comfort level? Like you know you. You know what your time is like, right? But what I would say is, if it's important to you, make the time, right? Maybe you don't watch an hour of television that night. Maybe you instead spend an hour on a writing sprint. Mm -hmm. Read other things, right? Don't just if you want to read if you want to write stories. Read all kinds of stories. Read comics. Read novels. Read nonfiction. Watch movies. Watch television. Talk to people. Get out in the world. Right. One of the great things about this book, Kid Omega, is that I have kids and I listen to the way they speak, and some of that is informed by the things that Kid, you know, Kid Omega. Some of the things that he says is informed by that. I go out to the mall. I go out to the park. Right. Listen. Be in the world. Be active in the world. Get experience and bring that experience to your writing. Don't just write what you know. Right, what you're scared about knowing, right? What you don't think you like that you need to research. All of that is really important to your growth as a writer. But the most important thing to me is and will always be protect your mental health first. Make sure that you're not beating yourself up about it, right? At your pace. No one's there's no race. Nobody's ahead of you, nobody's behind you. Just focus on you. And to me, that I think is the key to being a balanced writer. You know, I think you were speaking directly to me. Like, I, I, I am a, uh, like, I, you know, I struggle with taking time off. I took two days off, Monday and Tuesday, you know, I, cause like, I, I realized, you know, that's, cause you, you go so hard at it without realizing that if you're hitting that wall, that's delaying your time even, even further. You know what I mean? Uh, so perfect advice. We have J. Michael Miller saying love threads like that. So keep an eye out for that. Neil, last but not least, you know, what are you consuming outside of creating? I know we were talking about what you read, but any certain TV shows you watch and, you know, if, you play yep. any video games, like any games at all? I'm not a video game guy, to be honest with you. Uh, I do have uh, uh, an X-Men arcade game in my basement that I play Ooh. every now. Uh, which one? Uh, the classic one. I mean, the it's well, it's the arcade one-up. Okay, yeah, no, yeah, I got gotcha. you. It's the new version. So uh, I play that, and then on there is also Captain America and the Avengers, which is the reason I bought it. Like both mm -hmm. those games. Um, but from uh, TV, yeah, I'm, I'm actually currently devouring the final season of Better Call Saul. Uh, Perfect. Which is, which is great. I'm almost done with it. I got two episodes to go. I'm watching Ted Lasso, which is a breath of fresh air. I'm watching Severance when it comes back, which is gripping and amazing. I'm watching Barry on HBO, which is also gripping and amazing. Um, 
superhero stuff. I I'm still kind of watching The Flash, just mm -hmm. waiting for it to finish. Uh, all <laughs> the, all the Disney Plus shows, you know, both Star Wars and uh, the Marvel shows. My family watches that together. We're we get to sit down and kind of do that week by week, which is a lot of fun. We just finished The Bad Batch, uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch, which was fantastic. I love um, that. I just started season one, and I, I was like, why did I wait so long? Oh, it's so good. It's so yeah. good. Now we're going to eat it up. It's fantastic. Books, um, I'm actually reading uh, some old Marvel, like 90s Marvel novels now. Uh, somebody inspired me to go and get, get some out from the library. So um, X-Men Empire's End and Spider-Man the Venom Factor, all those old like Byron Price 90s era novels that kind of came out back then. Um, but I'm also reading... Um, Don Winslow, Don Winslow, who's a great writer. He wrote a series, uh, which I think is called, just called the Cartel series. It was Power of the Dog, Cartel, and The Border, which is about the, the Mexican drug drug trade. And now I'm reading a series that he, he did that's set in Boston and Rochester. Um, one the first one was called City on Fire, and now just this week, uh, the second one, City of Dreams, just came out. And those are really great if you're looking for like a good, hard-hitting, like noir-style crime book. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Hey, Neil, this has been an awesome chat. We're going to have to get you back on for that Kickstarter and deep dive that as well. Everyone that is watching right here is the link one last time to get this book you have until May 16th, and that's when uh, it's out in store. So be sure to get it while it's still hot. That being said, it is time for us to wrap it up. I hope you all have a lovely Wednesday, but most importantly, guys, keep it geekly.